Good to see you all. It's uh, really, really good to be back. Um, as you know, we've gone to two campuses and we're, uh, we're over at Liverpool. Kyle and I have been down there for the last five weeks or so. And so maybe I'm a strange face now. What do you think? An unrecognisable face. Um, I was a strange face before. Thanks. It's good to know that uh, there's lots of encouragement here at LifeGate. Um, and uh, hands up for those that were here during the first service here. At, yeah, did you guys have a really good time? Yeah, the youth service was fantastic. So um, if you're wondering, if you weren't here this morning, you're wondering what lights are around and decorations and stuff like that. We had the uh, celebration of youth this morning, which went absolutely fantastic. It was such a blessing to be a part of that. But onto the message this morning, let's turn to um, Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, reading from 1 through to uh, verses 8. If you have a Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Verses 1 through to 8. I'll give you a moment to go there and thank you for the, the slides that are up there already. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Father God, thank you for this morning, Lord. Help me to share your message that you have helped me to prepare this morning well. Lord, help us open our hearts to receive. Holy Spirit, be here. Help transform us, Lord God. Help us move forward in the journey that you have us on. Help us to move forward in our transformation of becoming more like you, Jesus. Help us to have the same vision, Lord. Help us to treat people well. Help us, Lord God, to be um, more like your son and and obviously leave here uh, changed and transformed into the likeness of your son. In your name we pray, amen. Uh, Just to share a few things around the book of Titus before we um, unpack a little bit of what's going on. Uh, The Apostle Paul was going around through a place called Crete, and as he was walking through Crete, he was going around planting churches, and uh, as he left Crete, he left somebody in charge, somebody that he loved and somebody that he was overseeing and encouraging a little bit like Pastor Nathan as he is planting different churches and then he's allowing people to oversee that. Maybe that could be him. To me, I could be Nathan's Titus. He could be the Apostle Paul. And... um, and uh, so, and Paul left the church uh, at Crete to a man named Titus, the beloved friend. And when you read the, the actual book itself, you'll see very closely that there's a, there's a connection between faith and practice, belief and behavior. And Paul is writing one of, this is one of three books which are called the Pastoral Epistles. And Paul is writing this book to Titus for the church and what was actually happening was that there were some false teachers going around. There were some people that were teaching false theology. And as I said, when you've got faith and practice 
And um, if what was being told was bad theology, they were responding in a negative way. They had bad behavior. They were doing bad works. Their character was bad. Probably their morality was bad. And Paul is saying to Titus, hey, get in there. Teach good theology. Teach what's right about the gospel so that we can see a change in their behavior. And he obviously is talking about their good works and their good deeds. And we see this in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through to 10, as Paul is instructing around good works between believers. We see Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, which he calls us to be ready for every good work towards unbelievers. And Titus 3, verses 14, is telling us to be devoted to good works. Now, as a church, we've been going through a series that's called Forward Together. And there's two main themes that help launch us into being able to do that well. And the first one is that we're to have the same vision, that together as a church, we're to head in the same direction. We're not going this way as a church and we're not going that way, but that we all together under the body of Christ, the vision that he's given us as a church, that we're all heading in the same direction, and that is to live in the freedom of purpose that Jesus offers and everything that we do centers around and focuses around that vision. And the second thing that we need to be doing is, as uh, has been summed up well, is to treat people well. So moving forward consists of having the same vision and treating people well. And I believe for us as a church where we're at today, and even if you're a non-believer, we know the things that we need to be doing to treat people well, Right? We know that we need to be loving people. We know that we need to be generous. We know that we need to be kind. We know that we need to be encouraging. We know that we need to be doing things that, that is gracious and for Christians particularly praying and forgiving. And Jesus even takes it one step further and says to love your enemies. So I'm not going to talk so much around what it looks like to treat people well because this is life gate, right? We know how to do that well. But I want to talk about one thing that's going to stop us from treating people well. So my first point, I'll talk about three things. Um, if you could bring it, up on the, bring it up for us on the actual screen. Three things that I want to share with you today. And the first thing is roadblocks to treating people well. And the second thing is that we're going to look at is how do we break free from this roadblock? And third thing is what is the effect of breaking the roadblock? So first thing, roadblocks to treating people well. How do we break free from the roadblock and what is the effect of breaking that roadblock? First point, roadblocks to treating people well. I want to tell you a story um, of the last time that I took, that I took drugs. Um, I was around about 18 months on my journey as a Christian when God impacted my life and immediately I realized that I shouldn't be taking drugs anymore. Now before that, it was totally encouraged. I was with my friends and hey, you know, it's not a problem, you should be doing this. Um, this is just what we do, it's just kind of you know, and I, was, I held off for a little while, but eventually I gave in to that crowd. That was the, the people that I was hanging out with. That's just what they did. And I got caught up in that snowball effect. I was heading on that journey, yes, and I started taking some stuff. And, and that continued for a couple of years or so. And then God spoke to me very clearly, particularly straight away when I became a Christian, that drugs wasn't right. So that's something that I read in the Bible. I just knew in my heart that there was a transformation in that moment. I said, no, we shouldn't, I shouldn't be doing this. And so I went on a journey. And it was quite challenging at first, you know, you, you kind of move forward one week, two weeks, you know, then you kind of, you have a stumble and a fall, you know, pick yourself back up again, all right, let's keep going, Lord, you know, maybe go a month, and then, oh, you know, out with friends, and you know, everybody's having a good time, you kind of feel a little left out, you don't feel like you're a part of the crowd, yeah, all right, you know, and take a deep breath, and here we go again, wake up the next morning, have that, you know, that moment that God just goes, you know. What you did yesterday wasn't great, but hey, let's keep moving forward. You know, then you might get a couple of months that go past, two, maybe three months, and again, uh, it didn't go so well. And there came a period where I, was, I went through around about four or five, maybe six months. I was doing really, really well. I didn't think I was ever going to come near it again until a mate decided to get married, 
which is a good thing, but then he decided to throw a four-day bucks party where we rented a house uh, in Bondi that was three-story mansion. Woo! And then, oh, man, what's going to go down there? 30 guys all doing the same thing. This is going to get messy. I did whatever I could to try and prepare myself not to go there. I didn't take any alcohol with me. I didn't take any drugs with me at the time. I thought, hey, I'm going to get through this and I'm, doing, I'm going to do really, really well. So the first day we turn up there and you know, everyone's going off. Hands up to those who think that I held it together for the first day. Hands up who thinks i done well for the first day. Thank, thank you for all of those that put their hands up. The rest of you need to have more faith and trust that God can do all things. Yeah? In those who strengthen... Pardon? Well... I lasted the first day, thank you. So I didn't, do, I didn't do too bad. Second day came, though, I didn't go so well. Um, <laughs> and it was fairly early in the morning as well, because we uh, decided to hire a bus that would take us to the races. And of course, before everybody gets to the races, you know, you wanted to be kind of in that moment and, and, and where you're at. Anyway, the last day comes, and, you know, we're all kind of getting up and we're trying to. And... Um, you know, getting ready to leave and packing up. And, and I had my friend who I had no idea was watching me and had no idea what was going on. But I had a mate that came up to me and he said, Con, he goes, I thought, I thought you were going to get through this weekend. I, I didn't think that you were going to do anything, man. I was really hoping that you weren't, hey, like. And he just kind of had this disappointed look on his face. And I just was like, ah, oh. you know, this was my moment. But that, that for me was the last time that I actually took anything. Why am, I telling you, why am I telling you all this? Well, I believe the first point here that I have roadblocks to treating people well is expectations. You see, my friend had an expectation on me that because I was a Christian, he saw that I should have responded in a way that was different to what I did. Because I was a Christian, that means that I'm a follower of God and I should be trying my best to, to meet God's standards. And if I'm following God, then I should do well and drugs shouldn't have been on the agenda. And I believe two things happened that day that affected um, him with what I did. And the first thing probably was, if that's what a Christian looks like, then I don't, doesn't really matter. Me and him look the same. So it doesn't really matter if we become a Christian or not. I think it gave a negative you know, effect to what Christians should be. But the second thing is I think I look like a hypocrite. I was saying one thing, this is who I'm supposed to be, but then I was doing another. And I really wasn't being, or you know, one thing I was believing, but I wasn't acting out what I actually believed. And I believe that kind of affected our relationship at the same time. And I believe that's what's happening here in the context of um, Titus in chapter 3. The first thing that Paul does is that he remind, that he talks to Titus about how to treat people well in verse 1 and verse 2. But then he goes on to verse 3, which he does something interesting. But before he says to treat them well, he doesn't tell him to treat the, the Cretans well because they were good people. He doesn't say to treat them well because they were treating them good. He doesn't say to treat them well because their character was good or the, the morality was, was, was what um, it should be. Um, or that they were doing all these great things and the character was really good. No, he doesn't say that. He does something different. He reminds Titus of where both he and Titus were before when they were Christians. He says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. My question is, why does Paul do this? Why does Paul remind Titus of where... They once were before they were Christians. Now, the Bible uh, in these pastoral epistles only gives us a one-direction conversation. Yeah, All we're seeing is what Paul 
is saying to Titus. But in order for Paul to say something to Titus, Titus would have to get his you know, iPhone out and, and dial his 555 contact Paul. Um, and we're going to, hey Paul, or rather it probably would have been a letter, not a phone call. Um, that was a joke, by the way. And um, I pictured it going better in my mind. Um, and uh, so first Titus would have spoken to Paul about what was happening. And I believe the conversation that Titus would have had with Paul would have been something like this. Hey, man, these, these guys here in, in Crete are just out of control. They're just all over the place. They're not doing what they should be doing. They're crazy. They're evil. They're gluttons. Um, they're not responding well. They hate the government. These people, I don't know. I don't know whether... We, how, it's going to be really, really hard to love these people in Crete. These Cretans are just all over the place. And I believe that Titus would have had that conversation with Paul because Paul is first saying here... Well, we were like that. So if you're saying that we were like that, then you're saying, well, that's probably how they are too. But if we look back in Titus chapter 1, verses 12, Paul says this. He says that one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, so the people in Crete, that was a Cretan person, looking at his people, says this about them. He says the Cretans are always liars, they're evil beasts, and they're lazy gluttons. Always lies, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. They don't seem like very good people there. But also just to take it one step further, uh, if I can find it here. Also an ancient historian named uh, Polybius wrote that it was almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. So the people in Crete were, were, were liars, they were evil beasts, their conduct was absolutely treacherous and their public policy was so unjust that you wouldn't have seen it anywhere else. So what's going on here? Why, why does Paul ask that question? Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul remind Titus of where they came from? This is what I believe is happening. Paul is reminding Titus of their previous journey because it's really hard, it's really easy rather, for us to forget where we've come from on the journey of transformation from one step to the next and that we can have expectations on others to be the same. Can you see that? So it's very easy for us to forget that what God has been doing in our lives, for God for taking us on one step closer towards him, moving us forward in our journey towards Christ, and when we look at others and they're not responding the same, it's very easy for us to point the finger and have expectations and have judgment on on, on that person. And it's really, really hard to treat people well if you look at them in that way. Oh, they should be doing this or they should be doing that. And you know what I love about Paul? I love the first people that he says to treat people well. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, Paul isn't talking here to be submissive to church leaders and elders um, or pastors. He's not talking about church government. He's talking about the rulers and authorities, which was the Roman government. And the Cretans were a people that absolutely hated them. And if you knew the Roman government back then, they didn't really treat the people well either. But look how he says to to talk about them. He says to be obedient. He says to be submissive. He says not to speak evil of them. He says to avoid quarreling and to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy. And that really struck me when I read that. Because it's really, um, when you have a look at where they were then, isn't it pretty much the same for us today? I mean, how many times have we been involved in engaging in conversation about a government that goes really, really bad? I mean, how much times have you heard when you've, you know, spoken to somebody about our government? Oh, the politicians are awesome. You know, they never lie to get what they want. They always tell us the truth. I love those guys. They got our nation going in the right direction. They know how to make great decisions. Have you ever had that conversation with someone? 
Can you tell me what they say? Oh, you're like, okay, great. We've got... So, I won't have you tell me what they say about the government because we're in a church and we don't want it to go really, really bad. But the conversations don't go like that. And so how have you gone with that? How have you gone with when you speak to people about our government, um, about our authorities, do you engage in conversation that's quarreling, that's speaking evil about them? And what I really realized about this is that you don't have to actually know somebody to speak evil about them. You just got to start talking it out. You just got to start saying, you know, how you don't like them, or they're this, or they're that. And this, it was kind of interesting. As I was preparing this message, um, Kylie and I, uh, obviously two weeks ago, I, I said the same message at the Liverpool um, campus, and it was the day after the election. And so Kylie and I, on Saturday, where uh, we head out and uh, we decide to walk to the school, and there's the next-door neighbour. He's mowing his grass, and he you know, stops his lawnmower, and he says hello, and we're like, oh, hi, where are you guys going? And I said, oh, we're just going to vote. Have you done it? He's like, oh... Those, you know, they're all the same. And immediately I knew he was talking about, they just, you know, they say one thing and they do another. And, and I had a real opportunity to either say, yeah, you know, I don't know who to vote for or whatever. And, you know, they're not, they're not nice. I could have just started talking bad about them. I thought, yeah, you know what, here's an opportunity. God's really challenged me on something. And I just, I just said to them, yeah, well, they, look, they're doing the best that they can for our nation. And that's all that we can do. You know, and in Romans it talks about that God has appointed those that are in leadership. And we really need to be praying for them. We really need to be lifting them up. We really need them to be, uh, we need to be praying that they would um, be making the right decisions, that they would have wisdom, and then they would become Christians. And um, yeah, they'd make a real massive change in the lives of people. Um, Now, if God is calling us to um, treat people well that look like the Cretans, as we just saw what they were like, Paul is calling us to treat people well and speak well of our government, who sometimes we don't really feel like. How much more is God asking you and I to treat each other's well with inside his body, the church? How much more is Paul calling us not to have expectations of people and to be treating one another well, if we want to be moving forward together, we need to be having, and we want to be having the same vision, we want to be treating people well, we need to get rid of our expectations and so how does it go with you in here? When you go to ask for coffee or something like that and you realize that somebody didn't that right. Oh, did you hear the way that they, they asked for that coffee? Did you, hear the, did you see the way they just walked past me and ignored me? Did you hear the way that they spoke to me? Did you hear the way they were short with me? How do you go with when you look at a believer and they make certain or they have certain actions or characteristics that doesn't match up to your expectations on them do you have a heart and heart towards them immediately and expect them to be the way that you are, the way that you want them to be? Now, here's what I'm not saying. The first thing is, if we want to get rid of our expectations, I'm not saying that for, for those people that, oh, I haven't got any expectations on me, so well, then I don't, need to, I don't need to behave or I need to do well. I can just sin and do whatever I want. Well, if we have a look at what Paul says in Romans, he talks about, God's grace for those that actually sin. And the more that we sin, the more that God has grace upon us. And, you know, there's grace upon grace for when we do things wrong. Uh, but also then Paul says, should you continue to sin so that grace may abound? May abound? And he says, no, we shouldn't. If you've been raised with Christ and, you know, your old self has been put off, then we should actually not go on sin. So this isn't a free ticket for us to do whatever we want. And the second thing is, uh, this doesn't mean that we can't call somebody out. Not having expectations on each other doesn't mean that we, we can't actually go up to somebody that you have a relationship with and you see that they're acting in a certain way or they're behaving in a certain way that you can't go, hey, let's catch up for coffee. 
Um, what do you say we, um, we talk about this? I've noticed some things you know, that has been happening. I've been noticing the way that you've been talking, noticing your actions. How about we, um, we catch up, we have a coffee and we talk about it. I'm not saying that you can't do that. But what I'm saying is this, that when we have expectations on people is that it hardens our heart, it removes us from them, we have judgment upon them and it doesn't become about them. Expectations harden our heart and it's very, really hard to treat people well when you have expectations on people. And so what's the correct response to when we're seeing somebody with character flaws or where they don't respond the way that they should responding? And I believe the answer to that is compassion. Compassion is the type of attitude that draws us near. See, expectations will sort of point the finger and judge and say, well, they should be acting like this, but we don't know where they've come from or what's actually happening in their world or seeing the transformation that God's doing. All we see is that moment, and we don't know what's actually happened before. And so compassion then, instead of actually pulling away, it helps us to move close. And we see that in the life of Jesus with those that he had compassions in the crowd. And yeah, he didn't have expectations on it, but he had compassion, which means he chose to do something about the situation. God had compassion on us when he came down to become like one of us. Jesus had compassion as he went to heal those that were sick. Compassion always draws near. And it's not about you, it's about them. And when you have compassion, it becomes about grace as well. You have grace in that person's life. And so if you have expectations when you come here and you see people doing wrong, it'll harden your heart, it'll remove you from them, It'll bring judgment upon them, and I can guarantee you're not going to treat them well. But if we try to get rid of our expectations and put on a compassionate heart, it'll soften your heart, it'll draw you in, you'll have grace, and you'll be able to treat people well. And it was interesting because God really challenged me on this. I went to a um, a conference that was uh, about 200 chaplains and uh, special religious education teachers, which are SRE teachers that teach the Bible in schools. And um, the second day in, we decided to get into these huddles and these groups, and we're all sitting around chairs, and we had finished the, uh, the group session that we were doing, and then the, the person at the front started to talk. And a couple of the members that were in our group continued to talk, and I saw this other lady that was sitting in front of us just turn around and just give this filthiest look that I'd ever seen to these two people that were you know, still talking, just, you know, that kind of up and down look. And I just went, whoa, what was, what was that? And immediately God challenged me, okay, don't have, you know, this expectation, like maybe she shouldn't be doing that. And probably, yeah, like there's a little bit of a, an interesting kind of response. But at the same time, she wants to listen and she wants to kind of, you know, hear what's going on. So I just said, okay, you know, whatever, no dramas. And it didn't, so I allowed my heart to relax. And I thought, all right, I thought I'd gotten past that. Anyway, about an hour later, we'd finished up from that session. We'd go and have something to eat. And where the session was compared to the dining area was around about 100 metres, so people would walk past each other, and you know, you just say hello, how you going, have a smile or something like that, and so I walk out of the dining area, and I see her standing there, and so she smiles at me, and I thought, I'm not going to smile at her, did you see the face that she just gave? She's not a nice person, but no, God reminded me, compassion con, it's okay. And so I just smiled and, you know, and just kept on walking, and I wanted to show that that's the difference that we can have. If I still had an expectation if my expectations were still on my heart towards that person, I probably just wouldn't have, you know, probably wouldn't even smiled. I would have kept on going. I would have had a hardened heart. But the compassion side said, well, you know, she had that response and I'm going to let that go and, you know, try to take, you know, give her the benefit of doubt what actually happened um, and just keep on rolling, smiling, kept going. And I was able to release that from my heart. So that was really, really cool. Now this leads me on to, actually, before I say this leads me on to my second point. It's very easy in this moment to think of all the people 
that should be hearing this message. Yeah? Husbands, if you've nudged your wives, you're getting this, you have expectations for me to do this. And, or wives, you know, thinking about when you get in the car on the way home with your husband, you know, and all the, talking about all the stuff that the expectations that they're putting on you. The first thing that you need to do with this message is look at yourself. What are the areas, or who are the people, or what are the things that I look at with people that they do, that I, you know, point the finger at, and you might not do it physically by doing this, but when it comes to what God can see, I really want to challenge you this morning to take it on board for yourself and to try to make a difference with letting go of those expectations when you see people's character flaws at church or outside or at work or wherever it may be. And I'm not saying that this is easy and this is a one-off fix. I'm not saying this is something that we, you know, it's... God does, and then we're never going to have expectations on people's lives. I just think that if we can be um, mindful of it in our journeys and trying to understand where people are coming from, I think, um, and having compassion, it's just going to be so much more healthier church because I believe that we want to be a church where we're, we're pushing in and we're, and, and we're drawing near to people rather than pulling back. I, I want us to really, I believe that we can be a church where we've got softened hearts towards people and not a hardened heart. I believe that we can be a church that is about others rather than about being about ourselves. And so um, I just want to throw that challenge out there to you this morning. This leads me on to my second point, which is, I've actually deleted, I think, some of my information on my iPad. <laughs> Roadblocks to treating people. Well, that's the first one. My, this leads me on to my second point, which is how do we break the roadblock? So how do we break this roadblock of expectations? In order to break free from the expectations, um, we need to understand, I believe, where they came from. And they come from believing that Christians are to be better people than everyone else. Let me say that again. I believe when we have expectations on people, that comes from believing that Christians are to be better people than everyone else. And let me give you an example of what happened at school as I was preparing this message. It was a Wednesday and I was in the library and I had a couple of young boys come up to me. I'm chaplain at Hoxton Park High School. And, and uh, we're just chatting away and, and uh, talking about some stuff during recess. And there was um, a group of kids mucking around and playing on some chairs. And I said, oh, what's happening over there? And I said, that's the, uh, that's the scripture group. And I said, oh, that's the scripture group over there? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, you should see those girls. And they're out in the playgrounds. They're horrible. He immediately had this expectation that because they were a part of the scripture group, that because they're Christians, that their behavior that he saw or sees in the playground is not matching up to the expectations that he has um, on them as a Christian. They should be behaving better. And I want to read to you from Tim Keller what he believes about this assumption. The assumption that Christians are to be better than everyone else. This assumption is based on a mistaken belief concerning what Christianity actually teaches about itself. Christian theology also speaks of a seriously flawed character of real Christians. A central message of the Bible is that we can only have a relationship with God by sheer grace. Our moral efforts are too feeble and falsely motivated to ever merit salvation. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has provided salvation for us. We receive as a gift. All churches believe this in one form or another. The mistaken belief that a person must clean up his or her own life in order to merit God's presence 
is not Christianity. Here was the problem with this kid as he looked at this, at this scripture group and saw that those girls were in that group, is that he had expectations on these girls that what they looked like out in the playground should be different because he thinks that just because that they're Christians, their character and who they are should be way better. Just because they call themselves Christians, they should be acting and responding in a certain way that is better to everyone else. And the thing, the problem with that is that he doesn't actually understand what Christianity is. And so my first point to break free from this is that we need to understand the message of Christianity. My first point to breaking free from expectations is understanding the central message of Christianity. And the problem is when we have it, when people have expectations on Christians, they don't understand Christianity. They see it as a religion of do's and do nots. They see it as trying to strive to do good things in order to merit God's favor. And when you're doing that stuff before God, your character should not be flawed. It should be absolutely perfect. Is that the message of the Christian gospel? Absolutely not. It's not about what we do or how hard we try to work to merit God's favor. That's not what earns our relationship with God. It's about what Jesus has done. It's about Jesus dying on the cross for us. It's about Jesus saving us from our sins. It's about Jesus wiping us clean. And so when we understand that it's about what Jesus has done and not what we do, there's a complete different um, focus on what Christians should look like. And so the first thing is that the breaking the roadblock of having expectations is coming back to the Christian message. And how easy is it for us to forget as Christians when people do something wrong, they should be doing better. Can't they remember that, oh, you know, God says this and God says to do that. Well, you know, we are saved by grace and we do have flaws as we just read. And the Bible speaks about that we are, um, that through sin we are flawed and that we make mistakes and that we do things wrong. So the first one is understand the Christian message. The second thing is that transformation is a journey. Let me keep reading on. Growth in character and changes in behavior occur in a gradual process after a person becomes a Christian. This means, though, that the church will be filled with immature and broken people who still have a long way to go emotionally, morally, and spiritually. As the saying has it, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Good character is largely attributable to loving, safe, and stable family and social environment, conditions for which we are not responsible. Many have had instead an unstable family background, poor role models, and a history of tragedy and disappointment. As a result, they are burdened with deep insecurities, hypersensitivity, and a lack of self-confidence. They may struggle with uncontrolled anger, shyness, addictions, and other difficulties as a result. Okay, here comes the part to imagine. Now imagine that someone with a very broken past, a Christian, and her character improves significantly significantly over what it was. Sam, can I get you to come and stand up here for us? Sam is going to be the person that's come from a broken background. Oh, just, just on the bottom there for us. A broken background, emotionally unstable environment. She has had a disappointing history, bad role models, tragedy, but she's a Christian. And if you met her... You know, um, and she, she told you she's a Christian. You don't know her background, but she's still got a long way to go. And there's some stuff happening in life that God is doing, and it's, and it's really, really good. Nevertheless, she may, she may be less secure and self-disciplined than someone who is so well-adjusted that she feels no particular need for religious affiliation. Um, Bella, can I get you to come up here for us? Come and join me at the front. Now, Bella is the person that's come from a well-adjusted family. She's come from the background of... Oh, she's stuck in the seats. 
Bella's over here and she comes from a well-adjusted family, a great background, good role models, fantastic parents as we know. Um, but she's a non-Christian. And she's a non-Christian. Now suppose you meet both of these women in the same week. Unless you know the starting points and life journeys of each woman, you could easily conclude that Christianity isn't worth much and that Christians are inconsistent with their own high standards. Here's what he is saying. That on the same day or the same week, you meet two people. One person you meet is a Christian and the other person you meet is a non-Christian. And you see and experience that the Christian wasn't that nice. You experienced that they had character flaws. You experienced that they said things that weren't right and they did things that weren't good. But then again, you met the wonderful Bella, who's a non-Christian, and she was fantastic. She was gracious. She was generous. She was loving. She was kind. She was all the things that you would want from a person. And it's very easy to conclude that Christianity doesn't match up. So they're a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of lies. But here's the thing, that the spiritual growth of Christianity is a process. And we don't know where people have come from. We don't understand their journey. And when we have expectations that they should be a certain way, we're not understanding what's been happening in their life. Do you guys understand that? Does that make sense? Just because, thank you, just because you meet someone that's a non-Christian, you guys can go back down. Just because we meet somebody that's a non-Christian and they respond the way that we want them to respond and a Christian doesn't respond the way that they should respond, you know, it doesn't mean that Christianity is bad or it's, it's flawed. And so... The second thing to breaking expectations is this. Transformation is a journey. We don't know where people are at. We don't know what's been going on. And we need to, you know, take things for where they're at and just continue to love people for where they're at. The third thing is this. We should expect Christians to make mistakes. Let me read on. Let me read on. It is often the case that people whose lives have been harder and who are lower on the character scale are more likely to recognize the need for God and turn to Christianity. So we should expect that many Christians' lives would not compare well to those of non-religious, just as the health of people in the hospital is comparatively worse than people visiting museums. And so the church is a hospital for sinners rather than a museum for saints. Here's what he's saying. That people that are broken and suffering and hurting and have been through a lot of stuff in their life recognize their need for the gospel. Recognize that they can't help themselves, that they can't save themselves, that they can't get themselves out of the mess that they're currently at from the situations that they've been brought up with in the home and abuse and, and, and slavery to sin and troubledness. They recognize the need for a savior. And they're the types of people that are in our churches. They're the everyday people that are amongst us. They're the everyday people that are, that, that are struggling and that are hurting, that are in here. And so when we have expectations on them to live the life that we, where we should be at, or they should be up here, they should be better than everyone else, they shouldn't be doing the stuff that's saying, well, you're going to get disappointed. And the thing is, is that if we just understand that we're going to make mistakes and that we're going to do the wrong thing, and we come from broken backgrounds and we come from suffering and, and hardship and sin and bustedness, well then, hey, okay, I get it. You make some mistakes, I make some mistakes. Let's all keep moving forward together. And so if we can have compassion, that'll draw us towards people rather than having expectations and pulling away. So the third thing is we should expect that Christians are going to make mistakes because we come from backgrounds that are not perfect. The first thing is we need to understand the Christian message, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ of what he's done rather than what we're trying to do. The second thing is transformation is a journey. And the third thing is that we should expect Christians to make mistakes because that's what we do. 
And again, that's a process for us to be walking through. I hope you're going to leave here and say, well, I expect you to get all these three things, and so you should, therefore you shouldn't have expectations on me to have expectations. You know, no, no. You get what I'm saying. Let's all be in a journey to learn about this. My last point, the effects of having no, no expectations. Can I get my last point up there? What is the effect of breaking the roadblocks of expectations? Now, obviously, the, um, the one sh- that you would see straight away is that you would you know, um, move from having expectations on people when you break the roadblock to having compassion. Yes, but this is what uh, Paul says um, in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Paul is not just saying here that it's all, you know, nice and, you know, we're just all going to get along and it looks all kind of fluffy, you know, if we don't have expectations on people and, and we're going to treat each other well. It's not just this whole nice concept. What Paul is actually saying with being profitable is that we're going to further the gospel. That when we treat each other well and we treat outside as well and we're doing that good and we're removing our expectations from our hearts and that we're having compassion. When people see what, what's happening in here, they see who God is like, and they want to be a part of that. And so we're able to actually further the gospel. And there's not much we can do with outsiders having expectations on us. That's just where it is. But we need to do our best to be treating each other well, and to be treating people well, so that more people can meet Jesus and receive the same gift that God has given us, that he also may bless them with, because that's how God does it. He does it through our actions, he does it through our words, he does it with who we are and it is profitable for them for us to do that. Amen? Amen. Cool. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you so much that you are our King and that Jesus, you are the one who we had to look at. You are the one that was perfect, Lord God. You are the one that, that did everything right, not us. You're the example that we are to follow. And thank you, Lord God, that you didn't expect us to fix up our lives, to have it all together. Lord, you didn't wait for us to get it right before you came down into this world. But you made a decision. You had compassion on us, Lord God, and you entered into human history, into, into all the, the wrong and the, and, and the suffering and the sin and the things that we've done wrong, Lord God. And that you lived the life that we should have lived and you died the death that we should have died, then you give us all your goodness and that you loved us, Lord God. And thank you that we can have a relationship with you, not, not based on what we do, but based on, on Jesus, your works and your death on the cross that forgives us of our sins and wipes us clean. And so, Lord God, I pray that, that this message has been challenging and that we can continue to treat one another well, Lord, with your presence and power in our life. In your name we pray, amen. Just before I finish, two challenges. The first one is this. Who are the people that you are not treating well due to the expectations that you have on them? And the second thing, how are you going to respond differently? Getting real, who are the people that you've not been treating well because of the expectations that you have on their lives? And the taking action part is how are you going to respond differently? Thank you, church. Have a wonderful morning. Enjoy the rest of your day.